I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Trampling Hall podcast. I am your host, Misha Globerman. Trampling Hall is a lecture series. It takes place in a bar in Toronto. Um, people give lectures on all kinds of subjects, uh, but the one rule is that unlike most lecture series, they cannot be professionally expert on the topic on which they are lecturing. Uh, this is what sets us apart in the very competitive lecture podcast universe. Um, after each lecture, we take questions from the audience. We've been doing the live show in Toronto. We've been doing Trampling Hall for forever, uh, like for over 15 years. And people often ask how the show has changed uh, since we started it. And the answer is actually kind of disappointing because it actually hasn't changed. Um, the, the very first show, Trampoline Hall, emerged, um, I think, in a lot of ways, fully formed from from the, the brain of Sheila Hetty. Um, and it came out, and at the very first show, we had uh, three lectures. We had questions and answers from the audience. It was it was quite similar to what it is now. And people ask um, how long it took to, you know, uh, to build up the audience, because the show uh, sells out every show now. But in fact, it sold out at the very first show. Uh, Sheila uh, just sent an email to everybody she knew. And the email, I remember, very specifically said, we're doing the show Please don't think of it as the sort of thing you have to come to. Uh, feel free to stay home. And it turned out that that uh, particular marketing pitch was what uh, rocketed us, rocketed us uh, to success. So there we go. Feel free to uh, use that strategy for anything that you are trying to sell. Um, so anyway, we've been doing it forever. Uh, it's a great show for people who like variety but also want to do basically the same thing uh, every month for 15 years. Uh, once again, I should warn you, this uh, this podcast might contain mature language. And uh, now I'll introduce uh, the lecturer for this episode. The topic is world and spiritual history, and the lecturer is Haida Aid. Hello, everybody. Uh, now... Uh, one thing I can't do is talk as fast as Misha. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, my name is Heide Aid, and uh, I'm 76 years old. So, even by today's statistics, I'm in the last third of my life. And that has brought out the already existing reflective nature of that I have. And I want to tell you something. Uh, some things I've learned make sense to me. One being that we live in both a material 
and the spiritual world, which in our understanding run parallel, sort of on parallel tracks and are perceived in a kind of double vision. Until on rare occasions they meet and we see clearly. Let me illustrate this from my own life. I was born in 1936 in Austria. And only two years later, this was part of Germany. My father came from an entrepreneurial family based in Vienna. My mother came from a very creative, artistic family of writers, actors, musicians, etc., based in Berlin. Where did they meet? On the train. My father worked in the family business, and my mother was a dancer in the modern dance company of Mary Wigman. I am the first of their seven children. Now, I was born into a time and place of vast changes with incredible violence soon to come. Very early, as a little girl, I sensed that in the lives of the people around me, there were painful tensions. But I also learned that a well-behaved child absolutely does not talk, ask any personal questions. In uh, 1923, at the age of 16, my father joined the National Socialist Party, or movement then. And later, when this became a party and came to power, the first few thousand members were given a golden pin and were often used ceremonially, uh, for example, uh, at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. So if you were a Golden Pin member, it was very difficult for you to leave the party. As a matter of fact, you'd be considered a traitor. So my mother, who came from an artistic circle containing many Jews, never joined the party, and my father considered this offensively disloyal. Then in 1939, World War II started. We lived in Vienna, but we had a farm in the backwoods of Austria where we spent the summers, and we moved there permanently with my mother when my father was conscripted as an anti-aircraft gunner to Scheveningen in the Netherlands. And that's where I started school, out there in the country. Now, Austria was, and pretty well still is, a Catholic country, and daily life in the villages centered around the ceremonies and faith of the Catholics. Every day after school, the local padre taught tired, squirming children to memorize the catechism, which was set up in question and answer. Now, when eternity invades the temporal world, you know it. On my way home from school one day, I passed the church and I asked a little classmate, six years old, uh, why do you cross yourself? And he said... It helps to end the war. And this is how I started to go to catechism lessons, with the grudging permission of my parents. The elderly priest stood on the steps before the kids and read, Question, 
What is the purpose of man? Answer. The purpose of man is to love God and enjoy him forever. Now, it was as if lightning struck me. <laughs> and I heard. One of the children giggled. The priest took the catechism and hit him on the head. <laughs> Time moved on. Farm life suited us kids. And uh, two more children were born in our family. But then... Bombers started to fill the air above our area, and we went out to watch, and we watched the pursuit planes going in and out between them, and sometimes they got one, and it would crash in flames. And I remember very clearly a burning body coming down from the sky in a parachute. My father was away with our brave soldiers killing those other bad soldiers. Friends pointed out that we could hear the Stalin's organ in the, north, in the east, and you could. And those who don't use that expression, uh, the Stalin's organ was a very big uh, machine cannon, and you could hear it rumbling. The Rus Russians, who were considered particularly violent, were coming closer. People who were able to make it happen fled west. My father's brother, who was with the SS, appeared and hustled my mother and our six children, ages nine down to an infant, into a truck. On we went, trying to go west, where we had a grandmother. That was the aim, and... Uh, you know, you took tremendous chances to make it there, but that's what we did. However, we were diverted because of an air raid. Didn't take too long till we realized that we were in the actual war zone. I remember looking out the canvas of this truck in which I was, uh, and the truck was officially um, transporting barrels of oil. I looked out and I saw a burning bus tumble down over the embankment of the street. And then I saw burning buildings and I heard gunfire and shouting and running around. And then several SS men came and stopped the truck. We had to get out and line up by the roadside. The SS men each pointed their gun at us. I didn't know that that's the way to make you stop. I thought we were all going to be killed. I was sure this was my end, and yet I was not controlled by fear. We did make it to our grandmothers. The place was overcrowded with refugees, primarily children. And this is where we experienced the Americans marching in, mainly in tanks, and we were, as we were lying in the furrows of a plowed field, I remember a black man sitting on top of one of the tanks, and that was the very first time in my life I saw a black man. On May the 8th, the war ended, and a few weeks of anarchy um, followed, and th those were quite something, but I don't have time to tell you about it. <laughs> and... <laughs> 
and uh, then Austria became a state of its own, but of course occupied by four occupation forces. And for the first time in our lives, we were really hungry. There just wasn't enough food around. Today, I'm grateful that I experienced this because I know what it's like. And I wasn't uh, so badly damaged that I have had to suffer from it from the rest of my life. That only lasted about a year. Uh, after a few months, uh, my, yeah, my father returned from the war, but he was immediately imprisoned by the British for his party membership. After a few months, I'm sent with a young woman across to cross an Ill illegally from one occupation zone to another, and I was very afraid of that. But I had to go because uh, my family wanted me to explore with this young woman in her early 20s, and my sister, a year younger, was also along uh, to see whether we could walk back to our farm. Now, that would have been several weeks unless we managed to get on a train or something like that. Couldn't count on it. And uh, as I was really afraid and my whole body felt funny, we came to a little stream. It was a beautiful, clear mountain stream. And as if it was today, I remember there was in an eddy, there was some beautiful trout swimming around. And again, I had this experience that something like a hot rush went through my body and I just knew that I was part of something much bigger than war or walking or food or growing up, even daily life. These experiences don't last, but you know that you've had them. And uh, when my father returned from political uh, imprisonment, he came back to economic ruin and family hostility. I went to school, or we went to school, and history there ended at the beginning of the First World War. We were just not taught, and it was very insensitive to speak about it. And you especially did not ask your parents what they'd done or anything like that. And I started uh, to reflect on this, and I thought, what am I going to do with my life? And you'll find out in a, a couple of minutes how it turned out uh, that it was very... <laughs> it was very... Uh, an, not a good plan, but I planned to be a nun. Okay? I wanted to be a nun because I wanted to really study uh, and religion and pray and so on to make the world better. When I got to Canada, I did have access to libraries. And I became obsessed with reading about the Holocaust. But even then, I kept it a secret from my family that I was doing this. I began to feel uh, terribly guilty, and at the same time, I felt terribly guilty for reading about it, because that was something bad. 
Okay, I was not supposed to investigate this. When I met Jewish people, I was just incapable of being natural with them. In my mind, because of the Holocaust, they could do no wrong, whether they were tradespeople, fellow students, workers, and I couldn't truly connect with a Jewish person as a fellow human being. My father remained anti-Semitic all his life. He also remained within German culture and had a terrible time, and so we had a, I had a terrible time marrying a Canadian. But I did, and he's sitting in the audience today. <laughs> and uh, um, he is a classical musician, and he uh, pursued a life of a classical musician, and together we had six children. One more thing. Throughout my life, it's okay, right? <laughs> One more thing. Throughout my life, I had been challenged by many episodes of severe depression. It's hard to believe today, but I'm afraid it's very true and to the point of pathological withdrawal, both physical and mental. For years, I tried to change by immersing myself more and more into spiritual practices, but it was impossible for me to prevent recurring depressions. There were good things about it. In retrospect, I met severely, uh, I met several true, truly compassionate people. Our children both suffered from this, as, as you can imagine, and learned. And carrying me, his beloved, in this condition made my husband the emotionally intelligent person that he is. Fast forward many years to 2007. I entered a two-year period of unrelenting depression, reducing me more than ever before. I finally was admitted to Mount Sinai and after three weeks referred to Baycrest to spend four months in a day hospital there. And there I got slowly better. And then two things happened. Through a coincidence, I discovered ceramics. Whether well, it was working with the earth, or my young teacher that got me interested in ceramics the way I have never been interested in learning anything else, and I was already 74. Um, I'll never know what it was. This is my third year into it, and whenever I'm in the studio, I feel in a state of grace. The second thing was meeting a Jewish man named Archie. He, he and I were in a weekly aftercare program at Baycrest. In this particular group, they have many groups of people who have been there uh, for four months and they can come once a week if they want to. Uh, in this particular group, at that time, I was the only non-Jewish person and there were four Holocaust survivors. A situation developed in which it came out that my father was a Nazi. Silence. One man said, Your father could have killed my father. Silence. One woman said, I can never forget, forgive those who murdered my entire family. Silence again. 
Then, frail Archie hoists himself up on his walker and moving across the circle towards me says, Heide, I just want to give you a hug. As he put his arms around me, I felt permission to let go of something that I myself hadn't done, but which had been such a burden for me all my adult life. So in this sense, this man's love brought eternity into history. Archie died a few months later, last June. I made a, a bowl for in his remembrance in ceramics and took it to his wife or to his widow now. And she told me that he wrote poetry. And so I want to close my little talk with a poem that I found in this book. What is man? What is man that anyone should be mindful of him? Especially now, when we can, it seems, create machines to be anything, almost, that man has been and do what man has done. Do it faster, usually. More accurately, often even better. What indeed is man, except perhaps that only he of all the creatures has a need to be touched in troubled times, or more important still, has the desire to touch another unselfishly. That's high to eight, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next is Q&A. 
I was, um, I was nine years old, but I do remember this very clearly. Pointing the gun at you meant don't run away, okay? I didn't know that. And I suspect that my uncle, who was also an SS man, had something with them that they let us go, okay? But this is a, me looking back as an adult. So we did get back into the truck and went on. But the young man that drove us, they took him. And I sometimes pray for him because I don't know what happened to him. He might still be alive or not. It was also very loose who punished whom for what and how in this end at the chaos. It was not very well controlled. Does that, does that answer your question? Sure it does. Yes, uh, yes, you, yes, you ma'am, yes. Um, did you ever... So the question is whether she talked yes, to her family. Yes, did about I this? ever talk to my family and my and my brothers and sisters? Well, my brothers and sisters were all younger than my. Yes, we talk a lot about it. Uh, to my father, he would when I was younger, he would say, "Das ist nichts für Kinder. You don't. That's not for children." And. Later on, he said, you can't understand what it was like. And I also, I'd have, I didn't want to go into my father, but my father, for whatever reason, was authoritarian to the nth degree, and he was a very angry person. I always say in our marriage, everybody has an, a right to be angry, but what's wrong is to be an angry person. Well, anything made him angry, and he hit and things like that. So uh, he was not a good person to ask. So you didn't. So you didn't talk to your your father, and you talked to your siblings a bit. But I guess they to my very siblings little. we talk now because we we speculate and we have uh, not a hundred percent the same experiences because we weren't always in the same place. For example, when the Americans came in, uh, one of my sisters had gone out to beg for eggs, and she was somewhere else, and she saw um, a soldier taking his uniform off and running away naked. Uh, I mean, it's dramatic. It's probably not one of the worst things, and they probably found him and all that, but those things, and what did this mean, and what did that mean, and what, uh, and my father talked most, I think, to my oldest brother, who is number four, but we were very close. Also put him into a terrible, terrible conflict about loyalty. Right. Yeah. What, what led you to ask that question? Why were you, what were you thinking about? Um, I was just thinking about sibling relationships and how complicated they can be, how people have different experiences Right. So they have different perspectives. Through the depressions? Yeah. No. I, uh, you know, we'd have to talk about that some other time. Everything has to do, something to do with everything, I believe, but it is also uh, something that sits in the body. Okay? I, because I know. Having had this, and I'm being told that not to expect that it'll never come back, uh, 
you meet other people, and some people have had wonderful childhoods and whatnot, and other people have gone through horrible things, and some people have gone through unspeakable things. What I went through is nothing in comparison to a lot of people. And uh, they had to see their parents murdered in front of them and things like that. And so, uh, and they're not depressed, okay? Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. It's not, it's not like a causal, it's, it's not like a direct causal thing where the one It's not direct causal, yeah, no. Sure. However, we are seven and uh, there's only really one who doesn't have something a little bit uh, in the emotional Right. Life a little bit wrong, yeah, or a, a little much wrong. Okay. <laughs> 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 well, you know, maybe it's nice to know that one kid in seven can come out of that. Uh, 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 yeah. So yes, you all the way in the back. Yes, you, sir. What? How did you end up being married to a Canadian living in Canada? I met him uh, one um, through a. Fellow student, I, I was fortunate enough to, first I worked here, but then I was fortunate enough to go to university, and a fellow student took me to an after church uh, party that I didn't want to go, stay home, so I went there, and that's when it happened. I met to... <laughs> so you met, you met him at a party, and the yeah. same way we all end in up marrying a Canadian, you meet them yeah. at a party. <laughs> That's what, that's what happened. It was, at, in, it was in the student's home. Right. So it was uh, relatively, relatively harmless. <laughs> With big consequences. <laughs> Anything else? Any other questions? Uh, oh, yes, we from behind the bar, yes. All right. A uh, little disclaimer, I'm Hi. Uh, if my father was still alive, we would actually be older than you, which is kind of a very unique situation. Basically, everything that you said is... Uh, parallel some of the stories that I've heard, um, and my own father making a right turn from that, from that legacy of war was becoming a Canadian. So, what uh, what role did becoming a Canadian change your perception like and who you are, you know, what it meant to be? So did becoming a Canadian? Were you you Did you become a Canadian? Are you? Are yes, you I did become a Canadian. Mm-hmm. And, and and did that change? And, and for you, for your father, that changed things when he when he changed from a, from when he as a German became a Canadian. Did did you have a similar? Did anything change? Well, you? you see, uh, your father would be older than me, but not a generation older, would he? No, he would have been. He was born in Yes, so that means he would be uh, nine years younger than myself. That's different because he would, well, he might have been in the war because at the end they conscripted 14-year-olds and, yes. Oh, he was conscripted, okay. Yes, so uh, it's an in-between, but um, my uh, my father also became a Canadian. The reason he told us that he came to Canada was that he thought there was going to be a third world war. And the reason he was able to come was that we had so many children. Two years after 1945, all these political prisoners were just discharged unless they, it had been proven that they had committed war crimes because uh, 
There were all these able-bodied men, and so many able-bodied men had been killed, and they had to be fed, and uh, they had to be guarded. It was so. He was then no longer a party member, or not even an ex-party member. So, because somebody asked me, how did he get in as a Nazi? Well, that's how he got in. Okay. Because they let him out. He, he was kept as a prisoner, but then they let him out, and then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's how he got to Canada. And uh, the fact, uh, I remember the person that interviewed just saying, oh, these will all be Canadians, because we were there like the organs, uh, like organ pipes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> organ pipes, yeah. And so did, did it, did it does, did, then the, I guess, but then the underlying question was whether it changed anything for you. Like, did that, did that for shift, me, was that a big thing to think of yourself as, you, as Canadian? Does that change That is or? a very interesting question. When I'm uh, in Canada, I certainly feel Canadian. When people ask me, what are you? I think they're asking me, where were you born? <laughs> because you don't ask each other. What are you? It's obvious that you're Canadian, right? Or to, for most people. So then I think that I say I was born in Austria. Uh, when I travel overseas, I feel very Canadian and not American. Uh, but <laughs> no, no, no. They are wonderful <laughs> Americans. <laughs> no, I, I said I don't want any us and them, okay? Yeah. So not even with the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> so that, so, so I'm like, working on that one. <laughs> so as a Canadian, you can imagine that it might be possible to sympathize with Americans. That seems like yes. Okay. All right. Good. Uh, any other questions? Anything else? Uh, yes, you, ma'am, right up here. When, when was the last time that you had that feeling of double vision? When did you last have that double vision feeling? That that. Oh, well, uh, you know, double vision is. I am interested in both. I am. It's one of the things that I think a lot about, and I do. Bill, my husband says it's like having a musical talent. I mean, some people are very easily addressed by the spiritual world, and uh, I think I'm like that. Uh, other people would have to judge that. But obviously I also have to be interested in uh, groceries and clothes and um, studying and things like that, subscribing to a magazine or whatnot. <laughs> so uh, that's the material world, the practical world. Uh, so uh, you can't totally concentrate on the two at the same time, but I'm always aware of it and I have certain practices and so on. But sometimes in these experiences and um, you know, I'm sure they're different for different people and they're not necessary. God can do anything he wants uh, whoever he is and uh, he exists if we believe in him or not, or he doesn't exist if we believe in him or not. So um, I feel that uh, some of us are given these, this knowledge that you can't really put it into words except you just know. And you'd asked about a, about a most recent experience. Is that what you'd asked about? Like you were you weren't satisfied by the stories in the lecture, but you wanted like a fresher one, or was there? <laughs> because she, 
she shared a couple of memories of moments. Right. Like yes. When, uh, of, of being very aware of that sort of double double vision. And yes. There was a, like a recent. Does that still happen, or are those like? Yes, it like still happens, and uh, it. Uh, I'm not. I, I guess I didn't make myself completely clear in my talk. I didn't want to talk so much about the double vision, but about what in the East is called enlightenment or, you know, a moment. Uh, but I did call my um, talk double vision, so if I ever give it again, <laughs> if I ever give it again, I have to change the title. <laughs> And we'll end on that on that valuable lesson. Ladies and gentlemen, Haida Aid, ladies and gentlemen. Trampoline Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by Margot Williamson. The podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Prince Nifty. Trampling Hall is a sumo audio podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and the World Wide Web. Sumo Audio has another great podcast about chips. It's called Chips, and if you like chips, you might like that. I'm Misha Globerman. Thanks for listening. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.